This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Coach, our adaptive sales coaching featuring five-minute quick coaching personalized to each sales rep. Learn more about Sales Fuel Coach at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. It's the Manage Smarter Podcast, everyone. We are so pleased that you're here and that you've tuned in today. My name is Audrey Strong. I'm the VP of Communications here at Sales Fuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith. I'm the President and CEO of Sales Fuel. We have a treat today for you. It's Jason Forrest. He is the founder and CEO at Forrest Performance Group. He's a leading authority in culture change programs and an expert at creating high performance, high profit. Well, everybody likes that and Best Place to Work Cultures, the winner of five international Stevie Awards for his training programs. Jason, also an award-winning author of six books and another one on the way, including Why Training Fails, which is the primary uh, topic we're going to talk about today, and Leadership Sales Coaching. Jason, what a pleasure. Thank you for coming to our microphones. Thanks for having us. And actually, we're that the Stevie Awards are already outdated. Just this past Friday, uh, we Ooh. actually won two more Stevie Awards, number six and seven, uh, one is for internal process, um, internal sales process. So one of the things that's important to us is we think a lot of consultants, they are kind of all had no cattle, as we mm-hmm. would say in Texas. They, they don't practice what we preach. And so we wanted to prove that we can do what we also teach. And so we won an award for that. And then we also won an award for um, our most recent training program, which is called Executive Playbook, which teaches leaders how to create other leaders, how to have a bigger impact on the people they're actually leading and how do they actually do that. And so that, that won a, um, uh, an award as well. Well, congratulations. So, it's a great yeah. reason. Update your bio. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. The awards. <laughs> so you're obviously, uh, you're obviously well-versed as, as a trainer and very good at it. So I, I, I saw in your bio, speaking that, that Audrey was referencing her earlier, you said that 70% of training in America fails. Where's that number come from and uh, what defines failure and success? It actually comes from several, several sources. But if you look at the ATD or um, you know, American Training Development Society, um, or training magazine, these different kind of third-party resources. Um, 164 billion is spent annually on corporate training, uh, but 70% fails to reach an ROI. Meaning that, based upon these independent studies, when they um, ask the companies, you know, did you get a return on the investment from the dollar that you spent? And again, 70% said they did not. It was not worth not only the expense, but also the time or opportunity cost that was spent in, in, you know, engaging in the actual training. So it was not worth it. Well, so why? What's happening? They, is it kind of like it goes in a drawer and that there's no, no reinforcement and support to put it into action afterwards? Well, great question. The, the, I mean, really, you got to kind of chunk up for a second before we can answer that question. So uh, when I started my company 10 years ago, I was actually, I came from corporate America. I was the head of, uh, of sales training for a Fortune 500 company and um, went off on my own and in the first kind of problem I want wanted solved as an entrepreneur is is well let's really let's really define what is training. And if you actually look at the definition of training, it's to change behavior. Like that is the definition of training. And so the, the problem is, I mean based on the research, is that majority of of companies that call themselves training providers are actually kind of posers, right? They they mm. they we, we are trainers but yet they actually cannot change behavior. And so that, that was really our, our, my goal 10 years ago when I started my company is I wanted to be 
a company that called themselves a training company and actually was also capable of changing behavior, or I don't want to call myself a, a training company. That it, it seems incongruent. And so I became kind of obsessed with how do I really actually change behavior if that's what we're going to call ourselves. Um, and, and so everything we do at FPG is from that is from that filter. Does this change behavior? And can we prove that it changes behavior um, is really the kind of the most important question. It seems like a lot of people think that training is actually teaching rather than behavior change. What's, what do you say to that? Uh, yeah, sure. So, I'm, I'm there, so the education piece absolutely is a part of the training, right? So we, we have a trademark formula that, that I created and, and, and everyone kind of write this down as I'm saying it, but performance equals knowledge minus leashes. So performance hmm. equals knowledge minus leashes. So performance is what we see a person uh, do. Um, that's the actual behavior we see being done. Uh, the knowledge is what they've been told to do. And the leash is any sort of limiting belief that prevents them from doing that knowledge 100% of the time. And so let's, I mean, everyone can kind of relate to like a, a good example from school. So think about, you know, two kids go to the exact same school and learn the exact same knowledge as, re, as, re, as relates to math, as relates to algebra. Well, well, you know, one child will take that information and will 100% execute it correctly um, versus the other one will execute it 50% of the time, right? Well, the reason is because of the resistance. It's the limiting beliefs, the leashes that's causing them to choke or not execute 100% of the time. And so, what, what we really focus on is, okay, what is the relevant um, education that we can teach the individual to perform at their, you know, at the, at the best possible way today, but then also what's preventing them from, from doing these skills 100% of the time. So let's, let's use a simple example. So let's say, uh, you know, in the, in the leadership side, one of the uh, number one struggles that a leadership has, a leader has is having tough conversations. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the capacity of a leader's success is equal to their capacity of having those tough conversations. Meaning uh -huh. that the, the most successful leaders I've ever met, they have the shortest duration of waiting, of that waiting time before they have the tough conversation. So like in my company, we have a 72, 72 hour rule that if, if, if there's some sort of friction or resistance or a clearing that needs to happen, you have 72 hours in order to have that clearing. Uh, that's it. You cannot wait longer than 72 hours um, or you've, you've kind of messed up, you know? And so, but what prevents them from doing that? Well, we can teach them on the knowledge perspective. Here's the five steps on how to have a tough conversation. But the question is, what prevents the leader from, from executing those five steps once they've actually been educated? And, and that's, that's, that's the tricky part, right? There's a lot of psychology that goes into that. There's a lot of organizational design that goes into that. There's a lot of job description that goes into that. There's a lot of things that go into that. And that's what we, that's what we are obsessed with, is how do I make sure that if we are teaching them these things that are obviously going to move the needle and increase their performance, how do I make sure they're doing them 100% of the time? Well, let's just talk about just getting them the training because sometimes I, what I hear often enough and uh, in, in the folks that we work with is that the managers sometimes, you know, make it optional to go to this, this, this training or training is only used as a, as, as a punitive measure. It's like, oh, you screwed up here. You need to go get more training rather than something then that is constructive 
And then sometimes the managers then will, will, will put the uh, will put their staff in a room for, for training or whatever and, and, and treat that as free babysitting time free so babysitting they can spend a couple of hours doing other things. So what kind of, uh, what would you say to managers that do those sort of things and you know, where are they missing the boat? Uh, yeah, so again, and the, and a, lot, a lot of the reason why people have those beliefs is because of their past experiences. So, I mean, if I was to go to any, any leader and say, um, you know, if, if I could 100%, if I could guarantee you, guarantee you that you will, you will absolutely have a, a change in behavior and therefore a change in results if your salesperson attends this, you know, this, this, this training session, this seminar, this program, then would you put them in there? And of course they would say yes. So it's more about a belief system that they haven't seen the success in the past and so, of course, we have to, you know, convince them of that. And, and here's how we're, of course, going to do that. So they just have to change their, you know, their thinking around that. Um, you know, a lot of people believe, you know, they've got a fixed mindset where they think that salespeople, you know, are, are more born. They're not created. Um, you know, we, we believe actually, like from a sales perspective, we believe that, that um, all human beings are actually born to sell. Mm-hmm. It's not just, in, not just in some of us, it's actually in all of us. And the reason why um, a salesperson maybe um, is held back from selling is, again, it's more of those leashes. It's more of the rules, the reluctances, the stories, or the self-image that really holds them back. And so, so we spend a lot of time on that psychology of that. So I think it's just educating the, 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 sales, you know, the sales manager or the company leaders of, you know, here's the evidence to prove that the training does work. And... Um, you know, and if we can execute on that, then, then, you know, why would you not put everyone in there? What are some of your favorite ways or best practices recommendations to managers that are listening to this to express the ROI post-training in a more meaningful way as they're managing up um, for the investment? Yeah. So, I mean, so the biggest thing that we focus on is, is conversion rate. So if they, you know, if, if before they were in theory converting, you know, one out of 10, then can we get them to convert two out of 10? Um, the, and, and, that's, and that's with us doing that without changing the price or changing the um, number of traffic again. So our number, the number of opportunities. So the, the biggest problem that a lot of times companies are, you know, the biggest problem that, that we kind of focus on a lot of times is that, you know, people, they, they, it's a numbers game for people. And so they go, okay, well, we need to sell more. So in order to sell more, we need more marketing. We need more customers, more prospects. Um, you know, well, the problem with that is that, you know, if, is that if you have to increase your marketing dollars in order to get more traffic or more customers, well, you also have to increase your overall conversion rate as well, because otherwise your profitability is going to go down. And so, you know, we gotta, we gotta be careful that it's not just about increasing the numbers because you end up having to sell more because now you're spending more, in order to get more. And the same thing goes with lowering your price. So a lot of times people will lower their price. Um, and then I always tell people, okay, well, if you think that if you lower your price by 10%, then you do realize you have to sell a lot more now of the lower price in order to still make the same profit margin goal mm-hmm. you did before. And it's, and, and again, I, I learned this just from my dad. My dad is, uh, will turn 80 this year and he owns the oldest jewelry store in North Dallas. Oh, wow. And, uh, and this is how he, he trained me. I mean, I would come to him and say, you know, hey, I can't compete against Zales, you know, or Bachendorf, or these other jewelry stores. And so, you know, they're offering this discount. And so can I, you know, can I, can we reduce the price by 
And he would say, okay, well, you know, at the current price, you need to sell four, but at the new price, you, you now need to sell, you know, 5.5. Um, are you, are you willing to sell an additional one and a half? Cause right now you're only selling three at the current price. So would you rather learn how to sell one more at the current price or are you going to commit to selling two and a half more at the lower price? And, and I was just trained that way. And so I would always fight back and go, the majority of the time I would say, no, I don't want the lower price. I just want to keep the price I have and sell one more because <laughs> so, mm-hmm. now my quote is higher. Right. And so I think it's right. just, it's holding people accountable and helping them understand you know, the business realities of things and showing them how to get there. Talk about, uh, here's a subject that's near and dear to my heart. Talk about the role of coaching then as uh, uh, to, to help reinforce and to sustain a training effort. Yeah. So, okay. So there, there's a, another stat that's put on by again, the ATD society that talks about um, that, that whenever there's coaching involved, performance will increase an additional 66%. So, so if you, if you just go to a one day seminar, this is the easiest way to look at this. You go to a one day seminar, there is evidence out there that says we can increase your performance by 22%. Okay. So whatever that performance says, so, so we can get you to do the behavior 22% more often. Um, now that will last somewhere between 30 to 45 days without any sort of follow through or reinforcement. Um, then everyone kind of, you know, goes back to their original kind of pre-training behavior. With follow-up and coaching and be- and support, uh, you can tack on an additional 66%. Oh, wow. That you can have a, an, a, t- a total um, of, of, you know, 80-ish percent um, or higher performance increase by, by adding the, the relevant seminar, the re- relevant education, plus the follow-through, plus the coaching that goes along the way. And so, so the coaching is really huge. That's actually why um, one of our, our awards we won is, is a, for a program called Leadership Coaching. And it, it won the best uh, coaching program in the world out of 40 countries. And I really kind of focused on that. That was my area. Now, it started off in sales management coaching uh, because that was the missing need. That was the area that people weren't really focusing on enough. And obviously, it's easy it's easier to get a company to pay for sales training and sales manager training because it's obviously directly connected to the, to the mm-hmm. you know, to the bottom line. And so they've got the budget for that. But since then, those same philosophies have now, are, we're now into all the other departments as well. So for the most recent program, the executive playbook, that's for any, any leader on showing them how to be a more effective leader and a more effective coach on a very tactical level, which is different because the problem with most training, another on my rant here is that uh, there are three types of training out there. So one is a very what based training company. So here's what we need you to do. And you'll, you'll, you'll hear a, a keynote speaker say, you got to coach your people. You got to motivate them. You got to start with why all this kind of like yakky philosophy stuff. Then the next level down is they, um, they might tell you the why they might kind of sell the benefit to you and get you excited. That's where you get really pumped up and really excited, and motivated and everyone's cheering, jumping up and down and crying at the end of the day and giving standing ovations but you still leave kind of left hanging going, okay, I now understand what? what I need to do. I understand why I need to do, but I have no idea how to execute this now. Mm, yeah. And so we are a very how based organization, which is one of the reasons why I think training, training fails as, as well is that, that people get people really jacked up and excited, but they don't, they don't tell them here's the steps and the way our, our brain thinks conceptually first 
and then it thinks procedurally second. And so we, we get sold on the concept of things with the what and the why, which is why these like these TED Talks, you know, these TED Talks are really great from a what and a why perspective and it's very conceptual, but very few TED Talks ever leave with the how, which is fine because it's a TED Talk and it's not supposed to necessarily give you the steps on how to execute this. Um, but but that's, the missing, that's the missing link is they've got to give you the how. And so that, that's a, a big reason why the training doesn't work is because I don't have the how. And then the last thing I'll say is that there's no, what we would call experiential learning. And so, um, so one of the things that we do, for example, is all of our clients, they're in a program where we'll give them some kind of skill to practice during the week. And then they get on a, a Zoom coaching call with my, my trainers and we, we actually will coach through them. So let's say they're a leader and they're, you know, whatever, applying this tough conversation thing to their employees. Well, we'll actually practice with them. We'll go over what they're going to say. We'll go over their coaching forms and then they'll be ready to go. So then they go and do it and then they report back how it worked and then we continue to unleash them and continue to make them more proficient at it, which makes sense because I always use this example. No one would ever get on a plane with a pilot that said, hey, this is Jason from Southwest Airlines and I just went, went to a, a one-day seminar on how to fly a plane and I got this thing all figured out. I got a certification. I got a certificate. I got a badge and um, I'm good. I'm good. So you guys, I got my wings. Let's fly. My, no one's <laughs> yeah. ever going to do that, right? So, right? And so that, that's the whole thing we do is that you know, to learn how to be a pilot or a doctor, you have to have experiential learning with some sort of instructor along the way with you. And that's what we do. We focus on, we're that flight instructor. You're, you're that flight simulator. <laughs> right. And like you rightly point out, the, the time you put into quality training and follow through and the continual coaching to sort of integrate it all toward greater results saves you time micromanaging your team. And then your team isn't screaming that you're a micromanager. Right. So it's not a time suck. <laughs> yeah. and, and the whole micromanaging thing is actually a really to me, kind of an interesting phrase because the reason why someone feels micromanaged from my perspective mm -hmm. is because they, they, they're actually not very good um, currently at telling people, here's what I need you to do. Here's why I needed you to do it. Here's what, how it benefits you. Here's how it benefits the company. Here's what it means to you. And here's how to pull it off. You know, so, so the problem with micromanaging, you know, again, people could easily, if you look at, if you look at my track record, I mean, our whole company, we have daily huddles. I mean, we were very into the details of what our people do. Um, and that's how we run all of our clients as well. And at first they can say we're micromanaging. Well, micromanaging is, is more of a fear-based concept. They, people say they're micromanaged because, because they're actually insecure mm -hmm. with, I'm not sure what my manager is actually asking me they keep asking me all of these questions that I don't know the answer to. I don't know how to win. I don't know what they're looking for. So therefore I feel micromanaged. I view it as a, a, a lack of detail going both ways. The manager's not giving the employee the level of details that the, that the employee wants and the employee's not giving their manager then the level of detail that the manager wants to, to feel comfortable with the job's actually being done. And so then you have a lot of follow-up questions and things of that nature in both, both directions and yeah, it can kind of feel that way. Correct. Yeah. So, so it's an interesting th term because, you know, again, the original philosophy is People say, well, I don't want to be micromanaged. Well, tell me more about that. I just want to be left alone. Well, my follow-up question with that is, well, <laughs> suppose I could show you a way to double your income overnight. 
or let's say they're not commission-based sales. Let's say they're just a normal employee. Suppose I could show you a way to get that promotion that you're looking for that would get you to that financial goal that you're wanting to achieve to feed your family. You know, would you be willing for me to hold you accountable on how to do that? And of course they're going to say yes. Well, in order to do that, I need to have this information and we're going to talk every day and I'm going to show you how to get there. The website is fpg.com and Jay Forrest Speaker is his Twitter handle. And then you've got a book coming out this year, The Mindset of a Sales Warrior, um, exploring mental toughness, beliefs, and techniques necessary to become a top 1% sales warrior. So when is that coming out and get it on the website? Yeah, great, great question. So um, I I would definitely just go to our website and subscribe to that. We, um, We also have a masterclass that, uh, we are doing right now that's um, actually teaching the actual book concepts and they can go to our website to get more information around that fpg.com uh, it'll come out sometime this year right now it's got se- several publishers of course are vetting it and we haven't picked the one that we're going to go with but in the meantime they can sign up for the master class where i teach the actual concepts before the book comes out and think of it as like psychological mind training for a sales professional so it really unleashes them and it, it, what's great about it too is it's synergistic to whatever program or sales philosophy they're currently in. It will only amplify what they're currently doing. It doesn't get in the way of what they're currently doing. Oh, that's great. Well, you talk about the importance of difficult conversations. This was not one of them. It was wonderful. Thank <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. And it was a pleasure meeting you. And I hope our listeners really got a lot out of it. Thanks. I'd love to come back. All right. Looking forward to it, Jason. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.